McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 170. Well, it's another loss for the Blues. Does something need to change fast? Joining the podcast today and back from Wales is the podcast very own Bryn Morris. How are you, Andy? Hello, mate. Yeah, not quite as injured as Bryn, but um, in an equally bad mood, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, I did notice all the photos of Bryn Morris online, which I was trying to get one so I could put it into a picture of potentially you being in Wales. Um, he looks pretty miserable generally. So I'm going to say you look happier than Bryn Morris does. But firstly, thank you. Secondly, you did that, didn't you? Wasn't it you who put a Photoshop picture of me with Bryn Morris on Snowden or whatever it's called nowadays? Pretty much. Yeah. That I, think, actually, that I swear I've me. seen that. Yeah, I swear yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. That was me. Um, how was your Leona Lewis concert? Uh, excellent yeah the, it was really worth those vip tickets and the backstage passes um so yeah massive massive oh, success God. story yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's only one person you want to climb a mountain with and that's leona lewis there you are andy uh, yeah just keep keep plugging the stereotypes me leona lewis tom jones and a sheep there you go that's all you need to make a good welsh weekend <laughs> oh, you heard it there I couldn't say that because it would become across as racist, but there you go. Pretty well, how are you? <laughs> oh, not so bad, Hugh. Yeah. Um, football's, football's horrendous, but I'm glad now to be back in the north of England with the family. So, yeah, everything non-football related is good to going all right. You dirty oh, northern bastard. I'm sure the northern blues wouldn't be very happy about hearing that, Andy. Uh, no, I've, I've got enough, um, what's the word? Got enough credit in the bank. Maybe, maybe not. Sorry. Credit's, credit's the only thing he's put in the bank. What I should introduce you as, Freddie, really, is the angry, you're not fit to wear the shirt, Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Fucking hell. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure some people wouldn't be very happy that I did that, but yeah, they deserved it. That's people who don't know, Freddie was the one who started that chant, and it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a thing that was sort of like planned or whatever he was standing next to me and then he just like there was a little moment of silence and then he just starts screaming yeah not fit to yeah not fit to like really loud like frothing at the mouth and it, yeah that went from there and uh those sort of feelings were carried over proudy how are you yeah uh, thanks for having me back on um it's uh normally i'm quite a positive person but i i think pompey's broken me yeah i, I don't really know what to say anymore yeah, football. I just hate football. I, I I actually tweeted this at Pompey the other day. I said, I regret the day I woke up and chose to like football. And this club has actually done that to me. And uh, well done. There's got to be that Accrington Stanley manager, Thingy Coleman, you know, that I'm rapidly falling out of love with football meme. That's got to be a thing here. 
yeah, we yeah, can I'd, photocopy yeah. your face onto that. I've no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> quick, quick bit of Premiere Pro. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, actually, to be fair, I I've been loaded on Photoshop for a while, so that could be the uh, the first bit of work I do on it. Uh, you know, send it my way. I'll, I'll first shot my own face. <laughs> well, probably, it's great to I'll have take you the credit. It's great to have you on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see you get your heads out of your hand to start recording there. And uh, I'm sure you'll find more words as we carry on. But all right, let's just crack into it. So first of all, we're going to review the rather, well, the shocking display against MK Dons. Follow up with that, we're going to look at some of the analytics that Freddie wants to chat about in regards to that. I'm guessing he's going to nail home his point on how poor he thinks Pompey were. And then we're going to talk about some stuff in the news, including Jay Mingy. And then we're going to look at potential transfers coming in. Danny Cowley wants to get a right back. Let's put that on a burner. And finally, we're going to preview the game on Boxing Day against Exeter City. All right, let's get into it, boys. MK Dons. I was, I'll be honest, right? It was a long drive down to Portsmouth from, from Surrey on... On Saturday, I wasn't feeling amazing. I managed to drive down, took me three hours, and I was really happy I went because I got to saw some people in the back of the stand. But it was not the best display at all. Although we'll start by going into the game because actually I thought Pompey started quite brightly. Hume had a decent shot, which the keeper does well to keep hold of. And then Hume again linked up quite well with Josh Caroma who I was quite sceptical of starting up front, pretty much he was. Whether it was a two behind Bishop or he was playing as a striker, can't quite work it out. Looking at the positional play, he sort of looks like he's playing as a forward. Boys, what did you think at the start of the game? Fred, you stood next to me. What did you think at the start of the game? Because Pompey did have the best chances, really, for the whole game in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. Uh, they were fairly bright. Um Building around in the final third, which I did like, um, some of the link-up play between Hume and Chroma was actually quite good from an attacking point of view, which was nice. It was some nice short passing around the penalty area, which was brilliant. Hume put in a few crosses. Robertson did a free kick, which fooled a load of people but hit the bar. Luck-wise, that could have caused some more problems. And they were generally very positive. No, I wouldn't say the chances were completely clear-cut, but they were reasonable. The ports were in control of the game, I thought, uh, by that stage. It's just the same. It fell to pieces. Proudly, I've got to say, I don't really rate having Clark Robertson still taking our set pieces at this moment in time. However, I did appreciate the fact he went for my suggestion and went for the Di Maria, which I said to Freddie, which is to try and score from a corner. And he basically tried that from a free kick when he swung it in and it hit the bar and I called it first. Everyone looked at me at first and was like, Di Maria, shut up, Hugh. Uh, and yeah, Clark Robertson tried it. He's in the World Cup and he's like, right, I'm going to try this one and swing it in on goal. Was that a shot? Uh, well, if it was, it was probably one of the better chances he had all game. Yeah, I, I'm still... I don't know. I'm finding it really frustrating seeing him on the corners now because uh, he should be in the box. I don't know why your centre-back is... Like I know he probably is a good uh, set piece taker, but like, yeah, it's just frustrating to see him actually take you know set pieces. He shouldn't really be on them. He should be in the box on the end of them. But I suppose we haven't got anyone else who can actually take corners or free kicks in the in the team, really, do we? I think it's that's got, the, that's the biggest someone. frustration. Yeah, well, I suppose like everyone always talks about Denver Hume having a good cross on him. Why, why don't we put him on the set pieces? I don't know. He, he must have a good. You know, like uh, a static ball, he must be able to put it in the box better than Clark Robertson. Owen oh, Dale's taken some corners, hasn't he? Yeah, he's taken some corners as well. He's done a fine job. I, so. um, I sort he... of felt that 
apparently got a good shout there because obviously it was on the right-hand side, quite tight. You think a left footer maybe swinging it in might be quite a good shout from that side? Potentially. Um, it's a shame that Hume's crossing wasn't brilliant in this game. Freddie's got, you've got your stats face on. staring at the Word document that's next to me. With, with it entirely written there. But no, he got two out of seven for his crosses. Accuracy-wise, so 29%, which is a bit grim. Karoma had to was 66% accuracy, which I was incredibly surprised about. But yeah, um, I thought that's one of the weaknesses of Hume's game. I do like the fact that he's very direct on that side, but there were some instances where he got the ball out of his feet and I did want him to dribble and take on the fullback rather than just swinging it into the penalty area, even though there's one striker there. A bit frustrating, but it's just the sort of player that Hume is, really. I think that's also because we're trying to get some balls into strikers to score goals. And he's been told to try and put a few more crosses into the box and didn't quite come off some of the crosses, but it's nice to see him actually coming over and putting some crosses into the box. Also, there's not that much movement in the centre of the box, apart from Colby Bishop really there. So crossing accuracy when you haven't got that many targets to hit. Pompey don't seem to have that many late runners into the box and things like that. Just not really causing many problems and it doesn't really help the person taking the the cross does it uh, Andy if you haven't got anyone really to cross to no that's some pretty deep analytics now it doesn't help the person crossing the ball if they've got no one to cross it to I'd, I'd find it difficult to argue against that Hugh <laughs> yeah look the start of the game the first whatever it was 20 minutes genuinely wasn't that bad at all I thought it was okay you know the, the MK keeper didn't have to make any absolute worldy saves but had to make a few competent ones. Pompey, I think, were the better side, first 20, 25. And then, I mean, it just all, it just gets progressively worse, doesn't it, really, from there. So, pack away the smiles. That's the positive part of the, the match review done. Now we can get to the bit that made Freth froth, which is a mental image I will never be able to unsee. Thank you for that, Hugh. Um, and, yeah, we, we concede the softest of soft goals from a short corner, which I know Freddie loves a short corner. But yeah, we can see the softest of soft goals from a short corner. I think it's Marlon Pack loses his man, assuming they're doing man-marking rather. Hackett at the back post, I think. Well, no, Hackett tracks his man, but it ends up being a two-on-one on Hackett. So the player that scores is being marked by Marlon Pack originally, and then he sort of peels around the back to the far post, where Rico Hackett was already marking a player. So if it's zonal, it's fallen to bits, but it looks more like man marking to me. And it looks like, yeah, Pack loses his man and then gambles on the cross and it goes over his head. So, yeah, Hackett ends up on the receiving end of a two-on-one at the back post, which, he's yeah, you can't expect him to be able to really do anything about when he's in a bit of a an MK franchise sandwich. It's not much he can do there. No, I also think Bradley Johnson really did pretty well. He's the guy who got the goal there against Marlon Pack in this game. He managed to get five shots off. He sort of dominated the middle of the park. He sort of allowed MK to shift the ball pretty well. Marlon Pack's not been playing that well recently, has he? Do we think it's because, Chris, that he's just not quite linking up with, you know, the Jay Mingy Marlon Pack partnership doesn't really work? Unlike, say, with Tom Lowry or someone like that, who does all that work around Marlon Pack, come collects the ball, does the movement, does the link up, and then just sort of allows Pack to have a little bit more freedom and sort of do what he does best, which is sort of spreading the play. Yeah. Um, I, I I remember saying last week about, I feel like he needs two midfielders ahead of him. Um, but 
obviously I don't think that's possible at the moment because obviously we'd have to drop the striker. So like Mingy is is probably the closest thing to Lowry in my opinion. But yeah, it's, it's I don't know. Pax just seems so he just seems to ghost through games. I think it might be Freddie last week who said that. I think he's just ghosting through games at the moment, and it's like you can't notice he's there. It's really um, frustrating for someone of that influence that he can't like get a hold in the game. And if he can't get a hold in the game, then we don't seem to be able to play well. And uh, it's really frustrating. And he should be he should be like taking the game by the scruff of his neck. But I don't know if it's the players around him just aren't giving him the options anymore, or he just isn't able to influence through the middle anymore. Like Mingy's just not helping him out. There's there's a few things that we obviously have to look at. Whether Lowry if he comes back and we see a change that that remains to be seen because we don't know when Lowry's going to be back yet but if Lowry comes back and Pax still is playing the same then there's going to be huge question marks about Pax's ability at this level like I know there was a lot of question marks about his ability in the championship and loads of people said he would be good in League One but if he can't do it in League One with you know one of the best central midfielders we have then I, I don't have any faith so that's a sound bite there, just proudly saying I don't have any faith. I think we could just you could apply that to a lot of things this season. I think with with Pat, the, the frustration is it started off on such a high bar. And I'll sort of throw it back to the season before when we started off, or maybe was it the season before? Time's gone all funny the last couple of years. But we had Williams and Tunnicliffe started first home game of the season and pulled all the strings and everyone just got a little bit overexcited and then it crashed and burned that partnership. And we haven't got to that stage here with with Pax's performance. I'm not saying it's a complete parallel, but because he started so well, and I think it was was it Russ at Forgotten Pompey Goals did that sort of the video collection of all Pax just pulling the strings essentially in the first in a couple of the games at the start of the season. I think it was the Cambridge game and maybe one other. It's because that bar was set so high. It's like you know that that creates such a distance to fall, which is it probably makes it look even more of a dramatic drop-off than it potentially would have been if it just started off averagely at the beginning of the season. But he just doesn't look the same player, does he? Which is frustrating because we've seen that he's got it in him. I don't know if it is purely a confidence thing or as as Proudy says, whether it's the personnel he's playing alongside. But it's just it's a it's gone from the sublime to the ridiculous a little bit in centre midfield, isn't it? I'm going to throw a little bit of positivity in before I slam it down straight away. There's a bit of terrible defending, so it's a bit of a shit sandwich, really, isn't it? Pompey trying to press forward, and the, there's a little through ball, and it absolutely splits our defence. Denver Hume, sort of the last man, goes through one-on-one. Josh Griffiths makes a great save one-on-one, doesn't he? And we've actually criticised him a little bit for not being able to be big in these in these situations and not closing the space down. He's done it a couple of times recently now, hasn't he? Where he's actually come out one-on-one. He's made himself really big and he makes a great save. I didn't quite see from the front end and I'm not sure if you guys know whether it came off his arm or his leg, but yeah, he basically goes off for a corner there. Comes off his shoulder. All right, nice one. So yeah, comes off his shoulder, goes off for a corner. I'm on my feet. I'm clapping, you know, everything's good. Go on, Josh. And then all that positivity sucked out of me. That's one of those sort of games, isn't it? When the corner then... Comes into the box. Well, it doesn't it gets played out to the edge of the box, doesn't it? Where a player's there on his own with so much time, no one closes him down. It gets blasted into the box, and Clark Robertson's very slow to react again, which allows the prolific Tucker to tuck one away underneath the keeper. You need to get a block in there somewhere, and it's two now. 
decent from jo- from uh, Josh Griffiths, but the defence looked a massive shambles at the back there, didn't it? And I know that Cowley decided to to take Raggett out for this game, and you could have said maybe he would have helped with the the sort of marking at the back post on the fr- on the first one as well. But Freddie, do you think the selection was an issue for these goals, and the, maybe the fact that it was jingled around the back line, or do you think Clark Robertson just had a couple of howlers there? Yeah, Cowley came out in the media and said Raggett wasn't picked for a tactical decision to try and have a back three that could play the ball out from the back a bit better. I don't think a back three of Robertson, Ogilvy and Morrison is ever going to play out from the back to the level that Cowley would think as much. Um, So in that scenario, I don't know why you wouldn't have Raggett, who's just your best standard defender, even though he doesn't have a range of passing on him. Um, He seems to organise the defence really well as well. Most experienced defender at Portsmouth, out of all of them, not experienced as a whole, obviously. But these these examples of defending just highlight some of the problems which the analytics aren't seeing. Um, If you you just look at them, and I have heard general football league pundits say this, they look at some of the stats, the expected goals against Pompey still up there relatively, and the goals conceded as well. The problem is that seemingly in every game we're watching, we get one, two, maybe even three instances of just terrible defending. Whether that's poor man marking, whether it's a defender stepping up where they shouldn't, have, where they should have dropped off to allow to create space. There is always that one example just in every single game, and the opposition is just taking their chances. Shrewsbury at home, classic example with Elliot Bennett, with the Elliot Bennett goal, pretty much one of the only two shots Pompey conceded in the entire game, which is mad. And it's a shame, really, that looking at these last few games, it's quite obvious that they. I think they need the back four, I think, tactically, to be secure enough. I don't think even as much as the benefits of the back three would give to hold the midfield, and we called for it, we didn't expect the defence just to capitulate like that within over the last two games. Spoke about players sort of fading from their early form. Andy, Michael Morrison, what the hell has happened to him? He looks about 10 years older since he started the season in his play. Not looks-wise, I haven't taken that much uh, notice of that. But he, he he looks so much slower, doesn't he? And so indecisive on the ball for such an experienced player. He looks like he's trying to, he's sort of panicking every time he the ball comes near him. I think we can safely say, especially though, that Right centre back in a three is never going to work with Morrison, is it? No, I don't think it is. I think that's a lesson that has been learned the hard way, and hopefully, definitely learned uh, at this point. I I just wanted to add on to Freddie's thing there, talking about how the XG is still is still okay. I mean, you can do whatever you want with stats, though, really, can't you? I mean, I just pulled up a couple of stats here. Like, yeah, the XG might be okay, but. Random numbers. Pompey have only been leading at halftime in 26% of their games this season. Points per game in the last eight, 0.88, Freddie. Like, Pompey on average only leading 22% of the minutes they've played in all matches this season. Like, it doesn't, honestly, you could say that the XG does matter because in the long run, it, you know, averages out and it pays off. But for every vaguely positive stat, like, yeah, the XG is stuck around okay. There are 
plenty of other bits of evidence that would suggest things really aren't good. Because <laughs> what our, our form is, what is it? Second bottom in League One for the last eight, it ten is games. From one win, five draws and four defeats in the last ten. Scored seven, conceded fourteen. Yeah, it's you know, it'd be lovely to win the XG Cup, but um, the only takes you so far, right? But anyway, to answer your question, Hugh, I don't. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent because I don't really have anything to add. So I agree and. In terms of three at the back, I mean, I know we'll probably talk about it a little bit more as the pod goes on, but it needed to be tried, I think, because 4-4-2, there were a couple of issues with it towards the end of its use last time out. It was worth a go, having three competent centre-backs playing and, you know, potentially some quite attacking wing-backs as options. It is now safe to say that you're just, you know, flogging a dead horse at this point by, by utilising it when the players clearly, at this point, they have no confidence in it. They can't do. There's no, unless they are literally living on a different planet, they cannot have confidence in that formation. They cannot have confidence in the defensive cover behind them when uh, the wing-backs are bombing forward. Um, so, yeah, I think Morrison is right centre-back. I would imagine we've seen the last of it, at least for the foreseeable. Uh, I look forward to being proved wrong on that on uh, Boxing Day. Howdy, do you think that three at the back is is the dead formation for us? Or do you think we've just got no balance at the moment without a right wing back? And having Owen Dale playing at right wing back in particular, not quite, you know, he's trying his best, isn't he? But he really wants to come and drift inside when he's playing in that position as well. And he needs somebody else to overlap around him. I think Dale's best when he sort of isolates somebody one-on-one and runs at him. And that helps a lot a lot more when you've got someone like Zach Swanson or Rafferty or whoever bombing around the other side of you, which sort of drags away one of the defenders, doesn't it? And allows Dale to sort of isolate a defender one-on-one and, and take it against him. So do you think the three on, you know, the three at the back isn't working really because we haven't really got a right-sided wing back? Uh, no, I think, see, the thing is, it's actually... It follows on from the Morrison conversation. Like, if you're playing a right center center back, they need to be somewhat comfortable playing right back as well. Because if you're, you know, we couldn't talk about formations all day, but like, essentially, they are fluids. Like, they're not just stuck. Like, if you play three four three, you're not sticking with three four three. There's like, obviously, you've got your attacking formation, your defensive formation, transitional formations, etc. So they're obviously fluid during the game. But if you've got Morrison who's playing on that right side, he has to be comfortable playing right back. And it's been proven in the games that he's having to play right centre back, he isn't comfortable there at all if Dale's pushing on. Obviously, if you have a defensive right-sided player, it's fine because Morrison has cover that way and it's it's all right. But if you've got an attacking player, you need someone who can be versatile on both on yeah, both centre and the right side. And obviously Morrison can't do that. So I think that's why Dale has been nullified a little bit because he has to sort of cover for Morrison's liabilities, I think. And Dale, obviously, we know isn't really... He's not defensively minded. Like, we've seen how good he is. Like, as you mentioned, being one-on-one with the defender. Like, I think he's... It, I mean, I, I, I probably... It probably is, this could be argued, but I think he's one of the better players we've had in the last five or six years who could play you know, one-on-one with a defender. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that Dale hasn't played further forward when we have played 3-4-3. Three, three. Like, I'm surprised because I don't think he has, as far as I remember, as far as I know, when Swanson's played, I don't think Dale's played further forward. I'm just sure someone could correct me, but yeah, I think that's that's how I see it. I, I think Dale would do well further forwards, but we just don't have that cover behind him. No, I think that's fair enough to say. 
and Dale does his magic best when he's up the top of the top third of the pitch, doesn't he? Not when he's sort of tracing back and trying to to babysit Michael Morrison at right back. And that's a fair point. Boys, do we have anything else to talk about apart from the reaction at full time? Freddie, you were there at the game, so I'm going to let you do any tidying up you want to do about this bit of the of the game, and then go into you know the reaction afterwards, please. Sure. Uh, there was one thing we haven't highlighted, which I think we needed to. It was when Jay Mingy was in the middle of the pitch, played a reasonable through ball, came off of Warren O'Hora, and then Josh Kramer thought he was through on goal. Uh, lines of referee blew for our side, massive, massive circle around the referee. It came out later in the press that the referee apologised to Cowley after the game because he blew his whistle too early for the offside. But essentially, the referee apologised for that because he blew the whistle too early if he let it go, if he let the pass go. Obviously, came off the defender who deliberately played the ball, so he would have been offside, onside. Excuse me. And as soon as I saw that, with the recent form, I thought, "Oh, here we go. There's the excuse for the poor performance right there." Oh, if we if that decision went our way, it might have been something different. And you could just, I saw it from the back of the front end. It was just like their their, their heads dropped, the shoulders sank after that, because. Uh, that bit of unfair uh, unfairness around it and it was a shame that not long afterwards there was the Conor Grant one-on-one which Griffiths saved and then the Jack Tucker goal which basically cleaned it all up it was disappointing to be honest and that was that moment I thought yeah there's no particular way that Portsmouth are going to get back into this game they met a lot of other metrics are fairly down their pressing was poor throughout the game with a high Passes allowed per defensive action of 11.29. They just didn't get a grip after the first goal. None of the substitutions, in my opinion, worked. Michael Jacobs came on, looked creative, but didn't complete any of his crosses throughout the entire game. Incredibly frustrating. And that obviously leads to the reaction at the final whistle. Andy, what's your take on the reaction at the final whistle? Do you think it's okay for fans to vent their frustration and uh, to boo the team off in the way they did? This week? Yes, I do. I think there's a time and a place for it. And I genuinely do think that booing the team off is overutilised in the modern game. I think it, I swear it happened first day of the season or first home game of the season against Lincoln, nil-nil draw and some people booed. And I was like, what the are we doing here let's be honest when you do it on days like that it loses effect when it's worthwhile and honestly this was the first game this season where where the final whistle has gone my primary emotion has been anger rather than disappointment and I wasn't able to come down to this one for for other reasons but uh, I watched it with my girlfriend and I was I was raging I was absolutely furious it's the first time I've I felt that as a response to a game this season because Fred talked about, about the goal that was uh, was disallowed and the referee apologising. I mean, my honest opinion, even if we equalise there, I still think we potentially lose the game. I really, I really don't think it's a, oh, if we score that, then we go on and push on and find a winner. I don't didn't get that feel from the game at all in the second half, and I think we potentially would have scraped a point, but there's a chance we still would have lost the game. And yeah, the, the response at full time, the booing, the chanting, absolutely 100%. The personal vitriol towards Danny Cowley as he walks down the touchline, absolutely not get a grip. It is a game of football. 
like let's have a little bit of perspective the booing the team and you know critique and mocking the performance as a, a sort of a group a hundred percent it was pathetic the second half was infuriating it was the worst 45 i've seen this season it was um, i'm struggling to just not be a human thesaurus here but it was extremely drab and yeah it was one of those days where everyone was extremely entitled to voice their opinion and there is the danger that you know you know the next 10 days we've got exeter away switch at home charlton at home at the end of that 10 days the atmosphere could be very very interesting if uh, if things don't go to plan because that ipswich game is not going to be easy in the charlton game you know potential new manager bounce things are starting from a pretty low ebb right now but yeah the the response was utterly justified in my opinion and the volume of it from the number of fans who were remaining in the stadium if you imagine the noise if all the people who left slightly earlier i say slightly who left early had stayed it would have been a cacophony it really would have been so yeah no issues in the slightest with with the response the team deserved to know that that isn't good enough for whatever reason yeah it was wretched wasn't it and i think obviously this debate came out after the game, and considering I started the chance, one of the chance against the team, I thought I may as well say it. There was an argument from some section of fans as you cheer the team and support them no matter what happens. Like Andy said, there's a time and a place. I remember earlier this season, let's say Derby County at home, where it's nil nil, Ports of Work creating many chances, very drab game. Fans got behind them because they saw something there, a small spark at least. And then they play reasonably afterwards. That's fine. Or if, for example, away from home against the team, which who, who are the favourites, even if we're getting battered, the, the support is still there. When you're at home to a side you've already beaten this season, who are second bottom and look as if they haven't got any redeeming feature about them whatsoever with a new manager, disgraceful performance and disgraceful result. And... I thought I was justified in starting that chant at the game. I thought I didn't have any qualms about people booing the group as a whole during the game and after the game either. There had to be a reality check. I mean, we can't just sit down and just clap when the players put in a performance like that. Sorry to go very stereotypical, but it's Portsmouth Football Club in League One, isn't it? (laughs) It's... It's the, the the expectation is always going to be there. The pressures are going to be already there. And if some of the players can't handle it, then they should play somebody else. Oh, Fred, firing from the hip. I think this is one of the topics where social media is really potentially damaging because you see this, the same phrases getting churned over and over by, by trolls on social media. You know, you're either a boo boy and not a real fan or you're a happy clapper and it's either black or white and there's no middle ground. Whereas in reality, it's, you know, it's very much a grey shade somewhere in the middle of the two. You know, there's a difference between not booing a nil-nil draw at Lincoln or at home against Lincoln at the start of the season and, you know, not booing that performance, if you can call it that, against MK Dons. You know, this is where I think, yeah, social media is potentially even more divisive than it needs to be, which I realise isn't exactly breaking news to anyone listening this, but... It, it was deserved. But as, as I said, the the personal attacks and the personal vitriol is not okay. And I think it's important we highlight that. Because, I mean, even even 
we'll talk about this later on. I'm sure the sort of the debate, the manager debate. I personally don't think there is a debate at the moment. I'm not. I'm not at that point. But even the people who are claiming that there needs to be a change are still maintaining that you know you're a thoroughly nice bloke, but. And if that's the position of the people who want a change of manager, then there is zero percentage of the fan base should be even a, like just the personal vitriol is, is is not necessary and it's not going to motivate people to go the extra mile who need to go the extra mile to get us out of this rut. I think it has the opposite effect personally. But yeah, booing the team, 100%. Absolute shit show of a performance. Let's be real about it. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, let's move on. Jamie. He came out, the club said they were in talks with his agent to negotiate a new contract. His contract's up in this summer. I believe he does not have an option from the club in his contract. Top work there, Porter Football Club. So it will mean that we'll need to sign him or sell him effectively. Now, I don't think it's going to harness a huge amount of money in January to sell him. I mean, you never know. Maybe you guys think differently. Alan Nixon, I think, came out and said that there's interest in him, whether that's lazy journalism just knowing that we're trying to get a contract done and looking up the contract status or whether that is Andy looks like I'm about to be cancelled or whether that is a no, case. No, just I can't believe you're accusing Alan Nixon of lazy journalism. That's like accusing the sea of being blue. I just didn't know it needed to be said. Ah, there are some people out there that subscribe to his football feed, mate, who might be loyal supporters of Alan Nixon. Oh, good luck to them, each to their own. Uh, have fun, you know. Actually, I'm not going to go down that road. You carry on, Hugh. Thank you. So... Yeah, so we obviously wanted to, to re-sign Jay Mingy. It's a smart move. He's made a lot of progress this year, I think it's fair to say. He's been given an opportunity. He's definitely shown some flashes of ability to be able to take the ball, to drive at people. Obviously, he struggled for a bit of consistency, but are we all in agreement, aren't we, Proudy, that we want to re-sign Jay Mingy? And there could be a bit of speculation that other clubs do as well. Yeah, he's... Um... I mean, since his debut, I think uh, <clears throat> it might have been Accrington at home, I want to say. like, the, Was it a 4-0 win and he came on for his first start? Uh, not first start, sorry, he came on for his uh, debut. Yeah, he's been he's been great. It's, it, but I think what has surprised a lot of people, yeah, because he was a free transfer. And I, I know we had problem, We had initially had problems with him at the start before we'd even signed him, I believe, as well. So uh, I think there was a lot of scepticism around him. They were like, you know, we've just given him a contract to avoid any legal issues or, or somewhat. But obviously, he's surprised us all. I think, but he could be he could be one of those players because I know, I know from murmurs from the boards, they probably want to adopt the model where you bring in young players. I know we've seen this this season with like Swanson stuff, you know, on a low fee. Mingy was a free, obviously, and then just resell them like for a high value. And that's probably the model we have in place. It could be a case that we just sign him to a contract and then send him in January. Uh, I don't know how much for. Uh, I don't know how much, you know, I think West Brom are looking into him and a couple of championship clubs, maybe. I don't know how much they're willing to part with uh, for Mingy. But personally, I'd want him to stay because he is definitely a great option for us. Um, he's definitely one of our better sentiment, central midfielders. Uh, you could take on players. You know, he's a, he's a great player to have in the squads, but... Obviously, I'm not in the contract negotiations. So I won't know. That's the issue. Maybe, maybe you should be. Maybe oh, should well, be. no. Well, if you see my football major save, I'll get the club in debt pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, I, I always get my, uh, what is it? All the agents always rinse me for all the money they're worth. Um, I'm not going to go into that because, uh, yeah, too deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, one thing with Mingy's contract, he doesn't have an optional extension by the club currently because 
that was used in the summer to give him this next year. So it's pretty obvious that depending on how he does, his contract needs to be sorted. Personally, think it's the case of you need to sort it now because if you're in Jamie Ingi's position, why wouldn't you look at, consider at least a, if a championship club wants you enough and there's a pathway to the first team after a loan spell, say, what and a pay rise, why wouldn't you think that? And why wouldn't the agent think that from potentially getting an agent fee out of it as well? It's, I know other League One clubs do this as well, and the majority of them leave all their contracts until the summer, but it just leads to a certain situation. The thing that with, with Jay Mingy, I don't know exactly how contracts work in this respect, but previously Pompey did have an option. So at the start of the 22-23 season is when they took up that option from his previous contract. So I don't know if it's common to have a sort of a rolling one-year contract with the club having maintaining the option every single year. That seems a bit of a, from a player's perspective, a bit of an iffy deal to have. So if he's been in that situation once where the club had the option to extend his contract for a year and they chose to take it on at the start of this season or May or June or whenever it was, it's understandable if he's argued, and this is complete speculation, if he's argued that he doesn't want that in the contract, having already had it once, because it, it would make sense. But, I mean, if he's getting a gig in the championship, I'd honestly be surprised at this point. And that's not me saying that he's not performed well for us because, you know, he's stepped in centre field and done a really, really good job. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's only been half of a season in League One. It's a fairly short sample size and it's, you know, at the start of the season, he wasn't first choice in centre midfield. And, you know, last season, we've groin injuries, shoulder injury, I think, as well he's had. There's all sorts of injury history there. I'd, personally, I'd be surprised if he, he made the step up at Christmas to the, to the championship. I'd be pleased for him. Obviously not pleased for us, but I'd be pleased for him, but I would be surprised as well. Yeah, he'd definitely have to fight for a place and just be a very squad player, wouldn't he? I think he'd be better off playing another whole season after this season. But then again, you know, when Thompson and Lowry eventually come back, is he even going to be starting for us? I don't know. Maybe play a three in the centre of midfield. He would he'd fit in well there as well, but... There's a lot of speculation on that. Um, Danny Cowley also wants to buy right back, everybody. I mean, this one's a little bit confusing for me, unless it's the fact that Rafferty and Swanson really are out for such a long time that we don't have anyone to fill back in there. Or maybe one of them at least is out for that amount of time. Then you do have Freeman. I see Freddie's unmuted his microphone and he looks like he's about to burst into conversation. So I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, the report came out that Cowley wanted another right-back, specifically one who could, who was suited to a back four. Uh, the report by Jordan Cross essentially pointed out that Kieran Freeman was out of favour, which you pretty much knew from the summer because the amount of clubs that were linked to him, apparently he's still linked with Mansfield and they're still interested, apparently. So yeah, it is Cowley wanting someone who could operate in the back four. It mentioned that he's hoping that Rafferty will come back early next year in like the January but doesn't want a, an example where he's rushed same with Swanson really and it makes sense to a certain degree if you are desperate to move Freeman because you really don't rate him bring in another young right back with high potential fill in a spot and then if Swanson and Rafferty come back and they're fully fit then you then you can maybe go for it from there I still personally think 
a right-sided centre-half is more of a pressing defensive issue. But if you really think that Swanson and Rafferty are out for that length of time and you think that that amount of points are going to be dropped because of it, then it's understandable he goes for that at least. All right, let's move on. We all might be suffering a little bit, Pompey fans, with how poor Pompey have been recently. But there are other people out there who need a bit of help even more than we do, just as normal Portsmouth fans here. And there are other Pompey fans in the community who need a bit of help. So we did our usual winter um, collection for um, the local food bank in Portsmouth. If you've got a spare fiver or anything, two quid or something, it'd be much appreciated. Um, yeah, lend a hand to other people in need who need a bit of money to get through this tough spell of bills, etc. Have a look on our Twitter at Pompey News now. You can find the link there or just hit me with a DM or at PO Forecast and I'll sort you out the link. But any help would be much appreciated. Let's go to the listener question part of the show. Just looking at what time we're at, boys. So I'm going to... I'm going to push us on to that right now once I manage to reopen my phone at the right location. And we put a question out to you guys and we said, it's now one win in 11 for Pompey after an embarrassing performance against MK Dons. Do Pompey have to change the manager and do you think the club will? Thanks to everyone who messaged in. Really appreciate it. Makes the show. There's a fair amount of messages to get through, boys. So I'm just going to crack us straight into it. Lewis Pete messaged and he said, the club definitely won't. And I think we all really hope that we don't need to. Personally, I think he should get the season to show what the team he's built is capable of. Changing manager now would just be expensive. And either this squad is good enough to be promoted or not. I think one of the big questions that comes out of that as well, Lewis, is, you know, if we sack the manager now, you then got to look for a manager to come in. Do you give him money in January? Do you give him money to to sort of try and switch, you know, players out? You're essentially committing, aren't you, Proudy, to a full-blown rebuild, effectively. A new manager comes in, he wants another three transfer windows, and then we're waiting, really, another two seasons to put a team together. Is it better, like Lewis says, to try and sit on our hands now and ride it out and hope the season plays out like that? Uh yeah, I, th- I think um, it, it sort of goes back to obviously the boon thing, but I was going to mention about that. Like we're we're now living in an era of instant success, so I think when you see you see things like being handed, like not handed, but like you just see you see success all the time, and you just want it straight away. And I think people don't realize like the sort of um, you know the longevity of the season. Like the season can change so quickly. I, I mean. We can. Uh, I, I don't want to have to keep referencing the past, but I think everyone remembers Cook's second season. I think I remember going to Wickham away and we lost 1-0 and we were just about to drop out of the playoffs. And I remember it was just Twitter feed was full of constant, you know, uh, get him out, get him out. And then obviously look what happened by the end of the season. So I think seasons can change. Like we, we obviously had a good start to the season. We're just going through a tough period. We could have another good run like in the new year, who knows, and then we'll be back in the playoffs or, you know, in the automatics again. And then, you know, everyone's perception changes again. So I think you're probably right. We do need to ride it out. That's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still, if you were to ask me what side I'm in, I'm still Cowley in, but we're getting closer to the middle now, like in, in terms of like the sort of meter. So, but yeah, I, th- I, I can't see us changing mid season. 
Proudy, did you just say we could be back up in the automatics again within a few games? If we end up in the automatics at any point between now and the end of the season, I will give you £30 on your next Twitch stream as a donor. Just 30. Oh, man, I don't even stream anymore. Um, oh, I've already, <laughs> so, I've, I've, yeah, that's a fair point. No, I've I just I, lost 15 quid to my Ipswich, mate, who I had a higher Christmas bet with, so I can't afford to stretch too much. But you really uh, think so? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, we're like, I've, I've seen like how far off we are, but then again, like, the problem is, is that we're three, we've got three games in hand over second place Ipswich, and we're 16 points behind them. If you win those three, hypothetically. I mean, well, you're you seven points off now. Like, it's not hard to turn over a seven-point uh, gap. But obviously, that means we'd have to win all three games, which uh, we're no closer to getting. Um, but yeah, the thing is, it's just we. It's not like we're getting battered week in, week out. We're, we're, we've drawn eight games this season. We just need to turn some of those draws into wins and the whole season changes again. That's the problem. Um, and there's other teams in the league that are struggling who we thought would be up there as well. Peterborough, I mean, a four-game losing streak. Like, they've dropped off, like, uh, you know, so quickly as well. So, yeah, it's very... Um, anything can happen, really, in football. And all we need is, like, you know, a couple of wins... Confidence is high again, and then we might be back up and running. That's it. Tim Footmesson, and he says, probably not a popular view, but I haven't changed my mind. I still believe in Cowley. Yes, it was a grim performance, and it's cold and dark in the UK. That's all right, Tim. You're loving life in California. But no need to overreact. It will come good. Looking forward to being at the next three games in person to cheer them on. Well, before we get into the the gritty of, that, of your uh, post there, Tim, come and have a pint. Love to love to meet you. Come down to the brewery. I'll buy you a beer. Um, now, off the beer chat for a second, I suppose. I think that's fair enough. I don't think it's the weather. That never helps people. But at the same time, Freddie, do you think we just stick now? But it's not an easy path. This is it for Danny Cowley with the, with the fixtures coming up? We haven't got a couple of easy sort of banker games, do we, to sort of steady the ship and maybe get us back onto that path of proudly automatic promotion. Yeah. I never thought about Cowley being sacked, not because of my own personal opinion, but I just assume the club won't. I assume no matter what the scenario, unless it's absolutely diabolical that he'll be here until the end of the season. But like I said, I think the reason why we went on this form is for a myriad of reasons, injuries, bizarre tactical selections, poor individual performances, mentality just completely dropping off. There's a, a few of them. I think it, it, for these next few games, it will be down to the players, whether people want Danny Cowley to be sacked or not. But I think there'll be more and more pressure on the board the longer this win the streak goes on to. If it goes into January, the pressure will be mounting and it fits a timeline, doesn't it? Because you see other clubs sacking their manager in January to try and get a new manager, bounce, bring in some new players and try and go short term for the playoffs. I listened to the chat which Richard Hughes had, our new defensive football had on uh, Not Talk 20 and he talked about long-term thinking and long-term process a lot, which fits what the board wants to do. So it it just feels to me that they they see it just as a massive rut and there's going to be no changes like that. So really, it'll just be hoping and praying of some good individual performances, some players recovering from injury and to try and catch that lightning in a bottle form from the beginning of the season. Um, 
I'm not very confident of it personally. I'll, I'll have to wait and see on that one. Alan Stone messaged in and he said, Hugh, the screen wash proved to be the highlight of Saturday. It worked a treat. Alan, I'm very happy that your screen wash worked well. I bumped into him in the garage after the game near the Milton Arms. And uh, as we we're all driving, little story to share, I suppose, he needed some screen wash and I was dubious it would work. So I said you needed to add water to it. So what do I know? Can't even get my car to work properly. But well, I suppose that was the highlight. If that's the highlight, then what are we going to say about it? On that note, solidarity with the Royal Mail strikes. Alan Posty. Oh, yeah. I was He's like, what the, the hell? Scre- what screen wash got to do with the Royal Mail is what my question was going to nah, be. Nah. Solidarity with Aaron on, uh, with Alan on the picket line. Let's do it, boys. PO forecast picket line. <laughs> um, Cowley's Cow's question and said, currently don't see them making changes to the management in the near future. But do you see changes that Hughes has recommended coming in sooner to help support the first team staff? I think they'll get time to make changes to the squad and demonstrate to the players are the issue and not the management. Andy, do you think the players are the problem here? Or do you think it's just a cauldron of issues? I think the latter. I mean, you you can't really say it's the players that are the issue, not the the manager and the coaching staff, because this is the first time that Cowley's really had a full squad that he's put together. So if you conclude that the players are the issue then by extension, that is the fault of the people who've recruited the players. But I'm very, like I said earlier, I'm I'm not even on the, the spectrum of, I mean, I am on a spectrum, but not on the spectrum of um, of whether or not it's it's wise to keep the managing team at the moment. He's He's got a lot of slack left for me as far as I'm concerned. And this is a project. And as you said earlier, you bring in someone new, to reshape things from day dot, you're looking at a year, two years, realistically, for them to get their squad together. Every team is going to have dips. And yes, this one is pretty... What's the right word I'm looking for here? Pretty cataclysmic. It is not enjoyable. I'm I'm extremely grumpy and it's affecting my day-to-day mood. Having said that, it is going to happen. You, things don't just click and then run perfectly. Like, how often does that happen? Like, Luton in our league a few years ago is the most recent one I can think of where the stars just align for the entire season pretty much. That wasn't ever going to happen. And I'm just not, I'm not in that space at all. And I think they've got enough credit in the bank for me that they've got time to turn it around. And I really don't think the club will pull the trigger. I would be staggered and it would be extremely unfair on what we were all put through enduring about a year and a half too much of Kenny Jacket if they then decided to pull the plug on the Cowleys this early on in their tenure. Tom messaged and he says, not good enough recently. Without cup competitions, the Cowleys would really be in the mud. Can't see things turning around at the moment either. Well, Tom, for all our sanity and Andy's mental health, I think we should hopefully try and... uh, Try and turn something round. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of uh, of speculation going on for their futures. Forgotten Pompey Goals messaged in and he says, four points in the next two games, in my opinion, or he has to go. But I don't think the club will sack him. He'll be here to the end of the season, or maybe if the playoffs are no longer reachable. Eisner's came out saying their top goal was promotion this season. Let's see if it is. Freddie, you reckon it's a board problem? Oh, I don't think so. Um, it's quite easy to blame the board for all their 
previous failures on other occasions and a lot and that argument of they're not putting enough money in is always there regardless of which transfers we make regardless of which facilities we're expanding into as well and they prefer and some people prefer the quote quotes that come out from sources which aren't really relevant like a random sky sky sports commentator saying we have the 12th budget in the league when if you just look at the transfers we brought in it seems nowhere near that to me um it's higher than that presumably it would be hard to not consider sacking Danny Cowley if there is no promotion at the end of the season if you're that process orientated which I think this board are you will continue and give it enough a go because you did that with the the previous management wrongly in my opinion I think it, at the moment anyway it is a mixture of performances not being good enough bizarre tactical decisions and other clubs being better with less resources or if they have more resources, using them properly. Do you really think it's just, it was kind of what Freddie said there, if we go up, they stay. If we don't go up, they don't. I, I think that's, again, a little bit too sort of reductionist, oversimplifying it. The bigger concern in the short term for me is that those players did not look like they were playing for the Cowleys against MK Dons. And I know that's a really cliche thing to throw out there, and it's a classic you know, they're not playing for the shirt, they're not playing for the club and all that. But it, it really didn't. And the same in the Wickham game. It didn't look like they were either playing because they wanted to succeed for the Cowleys and it also didn't look like they were playing out of fear. It's, I don't know. It didn't really look like they were playing for anything, to be honest. That, for me, is the bigger concern of, oh, will we go up, will we go down? Because therefore, you're talking about the decision of whether to, to roll with it for another year, assuming we don't go up this year. Surely that decision is based off the dressing room atmosphere, the dressing room feel, the relationship with the players and whether they buy into the, you know, it's a wonderful day to be alive, everyone smile mantra, which I'm well on board with. I think that the world needs more of it. But if the dressing room isn't on board, then that is a serious issue when you're deciding whether or not to keep some people like, well, in this case, Danny and Nicky Cowley around for another season after this one. Uh, I'll jump in. Sorry, yeah, I was yeah. going to jump in quickly. Um, I saw you were. You, your mic's unmuted, Proudy. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was waiting for the right time. Andy was, you know, it kept going on. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to say, the playing for the shirt thing, I, I hate it when people use this as an excuse. I, I'm not saying Andy is. I'm just saying it, it does come up a bit on like social media. Like people saying, oh, you know, the, the players aren't playing for the shirt. That, in my opinion, that only applies, in my, in, in my honest opinion, yeah, it only applies to the top leagues. I think... When you're in the top leagues, um, like you obviously got players on long contracts, six years or whatever. When you're in the lower leagues, these players, and we've talked about the Jay Mingy situation, these players on sometimes one-year contracts, they are literally, every time they're on that pitch, they are playing for their next contracts. Like, it's so, and we've seen with so many players that have left Pompey over the years, the amount of them that have dropped into non-league so quickly after leaving us. And it's not because of their lack of ability, it's just because, you know, football's such a cutthroat sport. And if you're not trying 100%, you've got absolutely no chance of surviving, like, after you leave. So, I mean, a lot of the players, I, they probably are trying, but they've just got no confidence to perform to the best of their ability. I don't think... I don't think I can accuse any of the players for not playing for the shirt because, yeah, like 
Um, obviously, they're in a privileged situation, uh, sorry, privileged position compared to a lot of the fans. Of course, they're getting paid, you know, thousands of pounds a, a week and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, there's so many factors that can play into that come into play. Like obviously, we had Louis Thompson break his leg. He could be, he, he potentially could have been out for the entire season. And then if his contract ran up, like what the, what does he do after that? He's got you know no fitness. He's got you know clubs probably won't take a punt on him. And then what happens to him after that? So that, I don't think you can accuse players of not playing for the shirt, in my opinion. But in the lower, then you're you're saying they're proudly that people play for the shirt more if they're in the higher divisions. I would argue. No, no, you, I think it's the other way around. No, no, I said they. You can. I feel like you can only use that in the top league. So you can. You can't use the argument they don't play for the shirt. Sorry, in the lower leagues, you can only use it in the top leagues. IMO. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think, I think st- still building their careers as such. It's not as yeah, if they're, yeah. they're, they're paid loads of money and they don't need it anymore. Well, no, it's just more the sense that, like, you know, when if you're if you're if you're a professional footballer and you're offered a five year contract in the top division, is your are you really going like? And I can't vouch every player, but are you going to care as much as a player in the lower leagues who is on a one year contract every single year? And anything can happen. That they, as I said, like they could break their leg. Injuries, they don't play, and if they don't not playing, who's going to pick them up? Because if you're not playing, you're clearly not good enough. Like that's that's how it is. And as I said, so many players who left Pompey in recent years, look how many of them are now playing in non-league. It's so quick. It's so quick how quickly they can drop out of the league. So, and then look how many of them are playing League One or Championship. Yeah, yeah, it's both sides of the coin. But I'm saying, like, it's 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 very. I think football in the low leagues is so cutthroat. It, it, and I've heard so many players talk about it as well. Like you're, you're playing for like one year, two year contracts and like they're not obviously making as much money as the Premier League footballers are. So your career could be over by like 29. Like it's... I don't, it's, really, it's, I don't yeah. really see what that's got to do with playing for the shirt. I think that's an entirely separate topic. No, but I'm saying um, like... For, I for the record... Being, being motivated to perform, though, I think is what what proud. Yeah, no, but I'm saying, uh, yeah, but I'm I'm saying like I feel like play, people that use the playing for the show excuse. I don't I don't think you can use that. I think the players aren't playing to their best of abilities because of a lack of confidence, and I think people are getting the two confused. That's what I'm saying. Tommy Hughes messaged in and he said, "Hi, gents, got the day right this time. Hopefully, you did, Tommy. Top work." Can't see the owners pulling the trigger on the Cowleys just yet, seeing how long they gave Jacket. I really want it to work out under the Cowleys. They seem like the nicest blokes in football and they do try to play decent football, but personally think they've run out of ideas and fresh faces and the fresh ideas are needed. It's not like they haven't had windows to change things. Nearly every player in the squad in their, are their signings and it's just not working. As I said at the start of the season, this is probably the best squad of players as a whole that we've had in a long time. So can't quite understand why it's not working. Desperate need of some pace at centre-back if wanting to play a back three. Yep, we mentioned that earlier on, Tommy, agree. And really need a left winger as Curtis and Karoma just aren't doing it for us. Again, agree with that. Dale seems the only player in the last five games with any quality and any drive. Freddie, do you think that this is the best squad of players we've had going into the season? Therefore, we should be performing better. And that sort of is therefore a bad reflection on the management. And then if we got a new manager in, fresh face, fresh ideas that the players might react, rebound and get us to to a playoff spot? I think a lot of people thought at the beginning of the season, didn't they? When all the signings were sorted and the summer was done, 
they looked at this for, uh, squad and with the good results and thought, wow, we built something. Is it that, that last season of, you could say, mediocrity at worst or transitional at best, that season was working because of the players we have in this side at the moment. I think some of the, let's say, K-Jacket's second, third season, there were some players in there that stood out and they got results playing the way that he played. But you always looked at the depth and you thought, God, there's nothing there if there's any injuries. I think at the beginning of this season, we all thought there was a lot of depth in this side in multiple positions. But that has completely gone away just with the sheer amount of injuries we've had. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's the best it's the best we've had in League One. There are some issues there in in a lot of scenarios, and I think another problem is we said this before many times. Similar bad trends in this side are still happening that have plagued previous sides. Instances of poor defending, the idea of they're playing out from the back one minute, but then the next there's not enough movement, so they go very direct again. And it doesn't seem to work, which again is frustrating. I think there's still more to be done to build this squad. And it's quite clear from the drop off that we've had that there are still players in the side that Cowley doesn't fancy, whether they're on loan or whether they're permanent at the moment. And I think he will want January to reshape that a bit, even though it'll be harder because it came out in the news that the club is still under a... um, a one-in and one-out scenario. Lee Roberts messaged and he said, not good enough at the moment. One win in 11 is shocking. Personally, I can't see where the next win is coming from. Like Danny Cowley, as he's as a person, he's a brilliant bloke, but the football is results business. The only way I can see him leaving is if we get into the relegation zone. I think that's fair enough. If we lose the next 10, or don't pick up a win in 11, two wins in 22... Um, you can quickly slip down the table in League One, can't you? Like you can click, quickly climb up the middle of it. Um, I don't think this team is bad enough for that to happen. Maybe people are going to sound clip that and play it back to me in April. But at this well, moment in time, we consider life in League Two. <laughs> <laughs> Not again, Bradford. Here we come. Away day. Let's have it. Hey, we haven't we haven't got relegated since we started the podcast. Coincidence. Oh, we also haven't got promoted, have we? So um, there we go. Did I say promoted or relegated? I meant relegated. relegated. Yeah, yeah. we're we just we're, we're the League One for life for a podcast, Andy, which is great. We yeah, have yeah, connections to this league. <laughs> yeah, we are essentially just the League One podcast at this point, with occasional previews of other teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. George Slatcher messaged in, and he said, "I think we have no choice but to give someone else a go." To be honest. This is clearly something wrong with the players and the staff. Cowley being frustrated with the medical staff. Players just missing without a trace for months on end. I honestly don't have a clue where this club is going under the Cowleys or the Eisners. Confirmed today by Cullen, we're 10th in the league in terms of budget. How on earth are we not top six of billionaire owners? I'm honestly baffled by the regime and I'm baffled by what's going on at the club. We're a joke right now. Well, I mean, it's a strong statement, George, but I don't disagree with the joke. I mean, I'm getting taken the piss out of all the time at work by other football fans, so I can I can see where that's coming from. It's not helping that I sit next to Nick at work, who's a Spurs fan. He's he's uh he's trying to play down that they're not going to win by that many by saying they're playing their reserve team against us, and 
you just know they're going to try and give Harry Kane a run out to try and get him back into the team to settle in, aren't you? And have Son, you know, running at, <laughs> at our really great centre-backs playing full-back and all that kind of malarkey. But look, there's a lot of talk going on, isn't there? But we don't really know what's happening behind closed doors to do with the medical staff and, and all that kind of stuff. It's clearly something wrong, but... I've not been able to find out exactly what's going on. I don't think any of us know, really. So it's quite difficult to pin that down and isolate that with any sort of facts. But on the budget level, Cullen saying we were confirmed as 10th. Did you guys hear that? That Andy Cullen confirmed we got the 10th budget in the league? Uh, I missed it in prep, but I've just read it now. Um, I was going to news by Neil Allen. Andy Cullen has shot down accusations that Pompey promotion ambition has been driven by mid-table playing budget. He's adamant that is te- that the Blues' tenth place budget is competitive, in quotes. And he essentially said that the wage budget hasn't reduced since he's been here, and it's entirely separate to stadium work. And stadium work isn't impacting it where impacts its level either. Uh, I'm just skim reading this just in case there's anything else interesting in there. I assumed though Portsmouth was higher than tenth, but it is interesting now that. It's not as high as we thought we would. Quite interesting, honestly. And uh, yeah, I'll have to think about that for a little bit. Yeah, if our budget is 10th in the league, it's a bit of an interesting one saying then that it's competitive to be, you know, in the promotion race really, isn't it? Or in the top six budget race, because, you know, if you're if you're coming in with a 10th place budget in the league and then you're going, well, you know, this should be competitive to get a playoff place unfortunately money talks and we look at the squad at the moment and whilst I thought at the start of the season we had you know a lot of decent players coming in etc a couple have been injured and you just see what happens when that squad depth drop off is if you have a bit more money teams that lose key players have other good players that can come in and, and do a job and keep that momentum going and stop this sort of run that we're going on I'm always intrigued by how they determine how it's like a tenth place budget. Like, is it? It's, I'm assuming it's determined by the fact they they are looking at the budgets in the league and saying, yeah, it's tenth biggest in the league because the way they always say it just sounds like they're budgeting for tenth place, which just doesn't. Obviously, it's not what we're aiming for. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I think um, like to to really like look at it is I think uh, you know obviously Cowley has only so much money to spend on certain players and obviously we we use the loan market quite well or we use the loan market quite a lot and I think we've done quite well in the last couple of years with it but then it's you know there's there's just if we're spending so much money on loan players then we're just not having enough money for the players that we actually have contracted at the club and then if we're if we're talking about, you know, selling assets and Collins also talks about, you know, we sell players and that goes straight into the playing budget. And if we haven't got any resellable value, then, well, our budget just keeps decreasing every year. But at least, I, I don't know. It's I, some, some clubs have done well on like really small budgets. So maybe it's, it's just that as well. Like maybe they're just looking at that. There's always the thought of why would you develop other players, other clubs, players, especially with the loan system. Obviously, we've seen you can get some absolute gems, Gavin Pizzunu last season, for example. Mm. But I do think relying on it way too much, I said this before, you just end up with a perpetual cycle of just bringing in players over and over again and not keeping as much of a nuclear core of players in season on season, when a lot of the time that is the best way to build a promotion. So 
But would you, I was just going to say quickly, would you not say that like some of the players we bring in on loan are to fill the gaps that we can't afford to bring in permanently? Like it's, it's really hard to get a striker of like Dane Scott's like quality. Like <laughs> Dane Scott has quality, but it's really hard to get him like cheap enough, if that makes sense. Probably. Um, and it probably does fit the, the 10th place budget thing that this article has said. And it makes it more conceivable. And I think Cowley said in the news beforehand that he uses the loan market because he doesn't think he can get the value out in the market as much. And we've seen it by other clubs. Well, MK Dons, who have just played, took risks on two players from the Irish League. Um, and it hasn't got it hasn't come off as well as it should have done. It's a less risky option. But from my, my side of things is with the loan market, if you rely on it too much, you can't really build anything. And it doesn't fit with developing your own young players and then selling them on in the summer for profit and then bringing that back into the playing budget. There's a happy medium somewhere, but it seems that Pompey haven't hit that in a long time. Pompey8098 messaged in and says, more crowd atmosphere like MK Dons and the board will be forced to take action. Unquestionably. DC, Danny Cowley, has taken us backwards during his two years in charge. The quality of football we're playing is now as bad as he did in the pre-Cook era. Danny is very clearly out of his depth. Going to touch on the first bit of that, because do you think if the crowd gets even more toxic, Andy, than it is now, that that's going to force the the ownership's hand? Didn't really make a difference to Jacket, did it? It didn't, but I think you do get to an untenable point and you see it at different, well, you see it at other clubs at the same level. You saw it at Ipswich with Paul Lambert, and you did eventually see it here with Kenny Jacket previously, where you do just get the breaking point. And as I said earlier, we're, we're not there, but one of the things that owners literally cannot ignore is the crowd reaction of the, the sort of the core fan base who have spent, what is it, £452 or whatever we spent on our season tickets and buy away tickets and travel to these games from all around the country. That is the core group on the day that they cannot, you know, it's impossible to not at least take that in if you're at the game or you're you're watching uh, on iFollow if you're sort of in America and, you know, you're watching from your home. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we're at that point, but it's, you can't not hear those boos. You can't not hear that vitriol at the end of the game. You can't not see, you know, half the stadium gone before the final whistle. And again, it's a bit of a cliche, but that isn't really Pompey. Even on the bad days, you don't normally see the stadium empty that quickly before the end of a game. It's impossible not to notice that. And I think, yeah, the, the fans on the day as a group, as sort of a collective, maybe don't have a lot of power to force the decision either way, but they have got a lot of power to make the issue unavoidable for the owners to discuss so yeah I think that the tweet the first part of that tweet is pretty much spot on because there is a a level of toxicity that is unsustainable over a longer period of time and then people just stop turning up like to be honest with you I've, I've missed the last I think it's the last three home games I've missed um two of which I wouldn't have been able to get to at all the third one I probably could have at a push and I didn't come down for it. It would have been a pain in the ass, but normally I would, you know, you deal with a pain in the ass, it means you get to watch football at Fratton Park. And I just got swayed because, you know, 
MK Dons or whoever it was at home, is it going to be really, you know, worth getting home at two o'clock in the morning when you're starting the next day at half five? Probably not. And then I was proved right. And that is going to be a thing that happens if the atmosphere continues as it is at games. Pumping Canberra meshes in and says, it wasn't too long ago we were saying that the summer transfer window was the best one we've had in recent years. Danny Cowley deserves credit for getting the likes of Lowry, Bishop and Pack into the club. The performances of late have been dire. I don't think he'll get sacked though. Yeah. I mean, it w- that is completely true. At the start of the season, we were saying about how good the squad was and how happy we were with things. And I think Proudy touched on it earlier on about these sort of dips in football. And this is a very long dip. Let's not, you know, let's not mince our words here. But, you know, if we do the unlikely and suddenly beat some of these teams that we think they're probably not going to beat in the next sort of month or so, people forget and move on a bit, don't they? And it hasn't been that bad for a year, say, maybe, that people were, were sort of... I don't know if people are all at the door now, as they say, and are willing just to, that's it. It's, it's, it's slam sharp. They're not going to change their opinion. I think more people are like that than they were after Saturday. You can just hear people talking in the stands about it. But yeah, people are fickle in football. So we'll see if that opinion changes. Ollie Joel messaged in and says, I love Danny. He's a great person. Good ambassador. Jacket stayed for long, longer and it was more toxic. So no, they won't get, they won't change him. He'll be here until the end of the season minimum. If he goes, Liam Richardson, please. There you go, Proudy. Shout out for your man. Um, please don't, please don't. Yeah, he's not the most interesting style of football to watch, is it? It's, I, th- I think his style of football is quite dull. And I think fans would be quite um, quite frustrated by his industrious sort of football. Well, no, I was going to say, like, it's just how the results go. Like, if Jacket took us up, we'd be saying what a great manager he was. But the football was dull and it wasn't getting the results. So, like, everyone obviously blames the style of football. But no one really cares. Like, I don't think people care that much about the style of football when you're winning. It's just when you're losing. All right. Thanks, everyone who messaged in. There are a few more people, but I think we've got to the point now where we're going to be repeating ourselves if we if we carry on from where we are now. So really appreciate it. And I'll try and remember who I didn't get to uh, and get to them next week. Right. Exeter City, boys. It's not an easy game, is it? Merry Christmas, everyone. Might as well say that now first. Let's get some positivity here because this is the last episode we'll do before Christmas. So I hope you're all having a great time. Great festive holiday. Hope you get a bit of time off as well. I'm not smug at all that I finish on Thursday and then I'm off to the 3rd of January. Nice little break there for me, boys. Enjoying that one. uh, That's very lucky indeed. Very lucky indeed. It's just the industry I work in. It all closes down for for Christmas because I work uh, for a design company and all construction stops effectively over Christmas. So I get to do nothing at all as well. So Merry Christmas, everyone listening. Appreciate the support over the whole year and all that malarkey. But let's get into Exeter City then. Before I jump into some Exeter City stuff, I will say that proofreading, skim reading this article quickly, I was an idiot and miserable on the sentences. Um, essentially, it didn't say that Portsmouth had a 10th place budget. The sentence that I read was, however, that has been strenuously denied by Cowley, that claim from Sky Sports that Portsmouth had the 12th best playing budget in the league. Cullen said, he is adamant that the 10th place Blues budget is competitive. So he didn't give any indication as to what the budget was. He just came out and said the Sky Sports thing was nonsense and then said loads of reasons to why it's competitive. 
but we'll see. We'll see. Um, some of the discussions that came from that were interesting anyway. Exeter City, the main thing with them is stopping their attackers. I really like Giovanni Brown, who scored nine goals and eight assists in 21 games, and Sam Nombe, eight goals, five assists in 22 games, and Jay Stansfield, four goals, four assists in 60 matches. I think for the past few games, at least two of them were starting in their 3-4-3 formation. They play, They sometimes play that. They sometimes it, Sometimes it's more of a 3-5-2. They have defenders with a bit of a range of passing, like Pierre Sweeney, who is a reasonable centre-half. Jamal Blackburn in goal, I've seen before. Fairly solid, got strong command of his area. There's a lot of danger there, but most of the danger relies up, up front. So Pompey had to be very defensively organised to get anything out of this game, I think. Yeah, and Exeter as well do like to hit you a little bit on the break and play little through balls in behind you as well to score goals. So they might let us knock the ball around if we haven't got much purpose doing it and then turn defence into attack quite quickly. They've got quite a lot of pace and they will pass the ball with purpose. Interesting, a little bit like we had as well when we actually used to sort of, at the start of the season, used to sort of pass the ball up quickly up the pitch and sort of try and with clever movements, sort of try and create some gaps as well. This is going to be a very difficult, difficult game away at Exeter. Proudy, what are your feelings on this game? Well, um, uh, like for lack of a better term, it is a must win, isn't it? Like it's um, like bad run of form. We're playing a team who got promoted last year. Like, you know, it's a team we should be beating. Um so yeah, like, and obviously Caldi's under pressure and we're lacking confidence. I think like we've got quite a, quite a limited range of options, like how to change it as well. So yeah, he's, he's Danny's really got to pull something out of the bag um, because yeah, in our runner games, this is probably the most likely we're going to win, uh, which is saying something like we, we, we can't even win at the moment. So the fact I'm saying that is, um, Yes, it is a must win. It, it, I don't want to say it too often this season because, you know, it, it can get a bit tiring when you're having to say it week in, week out. But yeah, anything less than three points and, uh, well, it, more question marks are going to appear. Their form also isn't brilliant either. Um, they're 18th in the league for form in the last 10 games with two wins, three, three draws, five defeats. So it's not as if we're up against a side that's on a magical run of form. I know, they just do. like MK Don's Freddy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, 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 yeah, no, it's it, like, I, th- I think, yeah, form just goes out the window in these sort of games. Like, it, it's just, it is must win. Like, it's, we have to get the result. Like, no matter, even if we win 1 0, I don't really care as long as we get the three points. That's how I see it. Well, whilst their total form hasn't been great, if you look at their home form, the last home game they played, um, they drew with Wednesday 1 1 at home. Before that, they lost to Ipswich at home 2 0. No shame in that. And before that, they beat Peterborough at home 3-2. So they are very good, at, you know, recently at home in particular. And it's a difficult place to go, isn't it? Especially over the festive period. So whilst their overall four, maybe, as Freddie highlighted there, doesn't look as good at home, they look pretty solid recently. So, you know, when you beat Peterborough, you lose to Ipswich and you draw with Wednesday. That's actually pretty decent, I think. So I am a little bit concerned. Right, it's been quite a long podcast. Fred, do you have anything in particular you want to say on analytics or approaching this game or do you want me to try and wrap this up now? I think we just need to go into the juicy bit of score predictions, I think. 
Yep, and just so everyone knows, not, I've not cut Andy out. I've not just discarded him. He had to run off. So, uh, yeah, we're not just ignoring him now. So he's, he said his uh, score predictions 4-0 Pompey. He's, he's got some... <laughs> he thinks it's going to happen. Clark Robertson, uh, hat-trick, two from set plate pieces. Um, all right, let's get into it. For anywhere, but I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Boxing Day against Exeter and any goal scorers. I can't really predict a Portsmouth win until they prove me wrong, really. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 Exeter City win with goals from both Giovanni Brown and Sam Nombe with Colby Bishop getting a consolation. Howdy, are you going to uh, carry on the train of a, a Pompey loss or do you think it's going to be any different? Um, see, I can never I can never predict Pompey to lose. Um but I think I think we scrape it one nil. I know it's. Uh, I think it's one of those games where once again I'm going to watch it. We're going to get dominated, and we're just going to hit on them on the break. I think. I think Coroma scores. Like I actually, the psych about. It, I think Coroma scores, and we hit them on the break. But I think it'll be a second half. Uh, still, I think that's why I see it. Smash and grab. Do you think Coroma's going to start up top again? No, he will come off the bench. I think Curtis starts, and then Coroma comes on. We hit him on the break and then he fires it past Keith and we win 1-0. And then everything's joyous in the world again. <laughs> well, we're getting promoted, yeah? That's it then. We're, we're, oh yeah, we're going to win up. the league. We're going to win the league. When we beat Exeter, we're going to win the league. We're going to win every game for the rest of the year now. Every single game, rest of the season. Every fan's on board. Here we go. <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> HMS Pistol League is back on track. That's what I'm going to call it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to go for a... I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Again, a bit like Freddie, I can't predict us to to win because we've done it over this span many a time and it's not happened. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw and it's going to be a late equaliser from Conor Ogilvie. And for Exeter, I mean, let's just go with the numbers. Giovanni Brown. Makes sense. All right. Freddie. Thank you for having your podcast. Always a pleasure. Yeah, nice to be back on again. And uh, yeah, have a lovely Christmas, listeners. Enjoy it. And yeah, we'll uh, see you when we see you. Proudy, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, have a lovely Christmas, uh, all you guys uh, listening. Um, hopefully we turn it around uh, after Christmas. Otherwise, uh, yeah, the next time I'll be on, it'll be even more uh, depressing. Do you want to plug anything, by the way? I didn't ask that last time. Uh, no, I, I, I'm barely, I, I'm barely on anything nowadays. I, I've, I've gone fully ghost modes. But if you want to follow me on Twitter and see all the memes, I reply to Pompey when we're t- inevitably two 0 down. Uh, yeah, uh, proudy YT. There we go. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!